everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy here from CS2. Today, I have Jessica Cow on with me, and she's the head of demand operations at F5. She also has a long history in marketing and marketing operations. Um, I tried doing the calculation, but I'll keep it to myself now because I don't. <laughs> but definitely loads of experience you wouldn't tell from that baby face. But um, and she has also been heavily involved with uh, Marketo and their champion program. And so I'm sure everyone here has seen a lot of her content. What I love about Jessica as well is she has a history in the agency world where she was the director of client strategy and client services at Digital Pie, um, who then got later acquired by Merkle. But now she's in-house and she's doing some awesome things um, around using the product mops method, which is kind of what we've talked about on the podcast before, but really, you know, treating your marketing ops team like a product team. So, so with that, welcome, Jessica. Thanks for being on. Excited to be here because I was like I thought I was the only person that was thinking about this, and it's so great to meet more people and and others out there that are listening around. How do we really think about changing our mindset in marketing ops to 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 think use it and more like a product? And it's been game changing, and I'm so excited to come and share with you our experiences and our learnings. Yeah, yeah. When um, so I had posted something on LinkedIn, and Jessica commented and was like, "I'm doing this," you know. And I was just like, oh my gosh, we need to have her on the podcast because it is very rare. Like Jessica said, it's pretty new. You know, some other teams like in IT are like we've talked about before on the podcast are adopting this approach of like, how do we kind of model a product team where, you know, we have like a more iterative approach and really treat like what we deliver internally and, you know, externally to the customer as a real product and having a product manager. So. Um, so, okay. So to start, I think, give me a little bit of background and, and, and maybe there's a history of F5, but when you came into your new role, you know, when was it that you decided to pivot to this way of working and what were some of like the catalysts for doing that? I mean, I think a lot of, you know, having come from an agency world and having had a lot of clients and I mean, obviously you're an agency, you you, you come in and you you think about like, we're trying to solve X and then you try to gather requirements mm-hmm. and then you try to build it. And when you go in-house, it's it's really the same the same thing. You just have one client, mm-hmm. which is myself. So I met with myself all the time. Like, hmm, how should I solve with <laughs> myself, right? And, you know, I think it was a lot of luck. It wasn't something that I decided one day. It's like, hmm, I think I want to run my team like a product. It, it was like basically you know, seeing things like on your feed that talks about it as a product and other people like this like sprinkling of new ideas. And by happenstance or serendipity that the organization that I'm part of, so demand operations is, is really marketing operations, but we call ourselves demand operations because um, we, mm, do, we okay. do have a larger remit. We're not like, we do marketing operations, but we are not just the ticket takers. Like we really do have that influence. And I think having that product management mindset really is mm-hmm. able to escalate our um, stance or our position within the company. Um, so I'm part of the global demand center. So my boss runs the global mm. demand center and the field marketing team in my, and does that roll into marketing? Is that, a, is that, are you yeah. all part of marketing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That was yeah. Um, and what's really unique about it. And I think a lot of, you know, I kind of want to take a step back too and just kind of say like a lot of the things that 
I feel like I've been successful at my current position at F5 has a lot to do with how the organization is structured. Not just my my own organization. Mm. I have about 14 full-time, 20 plus, uh, 20 if you include all our contractors. But um, our global demand center, also my boss also owns um, the product uh, project management mm. for our for his whole team, as well as there are product managers in that mm. PM, PMO organization, which is really rare to have it sit within the global demand center. If you think about it, that's mm-hmm. incredibly yeah. rare. Also, he owns data science. So we can do a whole other podcast about reporting and how, you know, we're able to do all this. I've, I've been able to do all this amazing stuff with reporting that I've never been able to do purely based on, uh, on org structure. So today, initially mm. we're talking about product management. So product management, because we've all rolled up into the same boss, I have access to a product manager. And it wasn't something I asked. It was like, hey, we have this person that can, can come and help you think about, you know, a cadence. Like, th- it's very new to me, right? This idea of um, epics and stories mm-hmm. and stories, features, features and release mm-hmm. notes. And it's, it's when I started describing, like, you know, describing what we what, what I do as a consultant or what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to remodel our reimagine remodel our infrastructure, Marketo, Adobe, Visible, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um it was like, oh what I'm doing is actually product management, but I kind of suck at this. I'm a <laughs> it's not my skill set. I know Marketo. I'm the subject matter expertise. And what was like it was like it was literally like magic, right? I I have such an amazing product manager partner. And I just word vomit all the things that are inside my head. And he like makes it and it lays it all out and repeats it back to me. And it's beautiful and it's organized and it's amazing. And I'm like, oh my God, where have you been my whole life? Yeah, that is incredible. I think uh, one of the things too, I'm a little bit like you where I'm, I'm very like big picture. I love like, um, or just like a, coming up with ideas. Okay. Solutions, ideas, uh, you know, structure, but, uh, Charlie, my CEO, uh, my co-founder, he's, you know, he's very operational and he was part of, he was the person who first started and was like, we've already been doing all of these things like for our clients, like building a roadmap for them, documentation, um, agile method, but we hadn't really like put piece that all together and thought, Oh, how do we think about this? And, from like a, like a product manager, you know, like you said, like most Moz people don't, one don't, haven't really understood that organization at all, haven't had access to them. And it's not really a skill that we are normally good at. I mean, we're good at a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) and it does. Yeah. (laughs) But the thing that's interesting is you can find uh, it's a new, it's a new kind of skill set that now I think you can kind of look for that's complementary, or it's something that you can also learn to do, right? Or or understand. And so um, when, but and and the thing that I like about it most is that it's just kind of bringing order to chaos. And I think that you know, in organizations where small, big, doesn't matter in, in operations because there's so much you can do. It can feel a bit chaotic. So it's like prioritization is key, right? Like, you know, you need to figure out like, you know, what's the 
you know, biggest priorities based on like outcomes and then being able to tie your work to outcomes, I think is super important. Like product teams do that, right? They're able to see, okay, we're going to build this feature to do this and we're going to then measure that and then we're going to iterate it. And they're really thinking about that, that like customer, but in mops, we have internal customers. And so I think, you know, that it gets it, it just once you get that concept concept in your head of like really thinking about, okay, what I'm delivering, I have to really think about the experience, you know, the, the actual like UX of it and so the forth. I think really matters. The change, one yeah. of the biggest things that my product manager has done and he's kind of drilled into my head is like, okay, we have to talk about benefits, right? Because us as moms people, yeah. we moms people are super mm-hmm. geeky and super nerdy and we like to be like, oh, you know, this thing and the scoring and tokens and this. And like, we're so caught up, right? Like our default is to use that language. And I've given a couple of, like, we've done it at our, our Silicon Valley user group. We've talked about climbing the corporate ladder. We've talked about reporting. All of it is really about, and it's really about unlocking the benefits for your stakeholders. My mm. boss always constantly reminds me, like, how are our stakeholders going to feel what you did right how will it Mm -hmm. impact them when will they feel it how will they feel it and so even from my very first session with my product manager which i kind of feel like his therapy at this point i meet with him (laughs) and i just brain dump everything and he makes it all into magic um but he starts with okay what are the benefits what is our goal right okay our goal everything is tied to and it's the same for moms right and and it's a lot of i spent like 25 hours over four months, kind of, he was helping me. He was extracting my vision. He was extracting mm. my vision of, okay, what do we do? Well, what we, we scale, we optimize, mm-hmm. right? We increase revenue by doing what? By, I even forget what the thing is. We increase revenue, we scale, we're like increasing ROI, right? Those are the benefits. Mm-hmm. Those are the words that the C-suite understands. And then we reverse engineer everything that we do aligns yeah. to those three benefits right and so that was mm-hmm. a it was a muscle that that you know my my product manager helped me understand so when we talk about right it's and then what are, actually a webinar i did from our cattle a couple weeks like last month was on the like five key reports to getting a c-suite the whole concept is about translating mop speak mm-hmm. to c-suite speak yeah. Right. So like we mm-hmm. like what are people doing? We want to see people engaging in our database. Mop speak that's scoring. Right. So we take mm-hmm. the feature, which is scoring. What yep. what is the what is the epic? What's the user score? What what is the benefit that that gets? Right. So mm-hmm. it took, like I said, it took about 25 hours just to talk through with my product manager my vision of how I want to overhaul our entire Marketo instance but translated into language that people understand. And then one of the things that I realized that as a consultant and even internally where things fall flat or like it doesn't get adopted, right? Whatever thing that our clients asked us to do and it just didn't get adopted, we only took it up to like release. We didn't take it up to, it's like, if I only knew this when I was a consultant, we didn't take it through the change management, right? Because like the release is like almost... It's like 50% of the way there. Yeah. It's thinking mm-hmm. about what is the release note going to look like, right? right. We have mm-hmm. as, as our base. So he's got a whole template that we, that we have to work through when we launch, let's say, for example, scoring, or we're going to launch MQL mm-hmm. priority. MQL priority is like basically segmenting your MQLs by 
contact us, hand raisers, organic scoring, mm-hmm. every marketer wants to MQL someone intently, right? We have a, right. That's a, that's a feature uh, that we want yeah. to release, but it's like, okay, we did it. That's what mops usually does. Okay. We did it. <laughs> and we throw it out. Yeah. But we're not taking it the rest of the way there by showing the value. And we talk about the value at the beginning and part of the planning stage. We talk about what is the training, enablement, and communication plan, and what does that feature release, that release note look like that powers the Mm -hmm. messaging behind, well, is this a big release or is it a small release? And remember some things, I mean, we kind of know, like I do everything in my head, which is why I, I, I need my product manager to pull it all out. But you know, like you can't release a life cycle change in the middle of the quarter. You have to time it right no. for, you have to time it so that you don't disturb reporting. So there are certain things that have to be sequenced, right? We can only release on the first day of the quarter. And then there are smaller things mm-hmm. like, hey, we want to turn on lead source. It doesn't have to time with the quarter, but all of that is mapped out with the product manager, the sequence, the timing, the training. Is it a big release? So then maybe we need to do office hours, uh, uh, an, uh, a, you know, twice training, one for EMEA friendly, one for APCJ friendly. We need to do an email. We need to put it in the newsletter. Or if it's a small release, you know, maybe it's just an email, but all of that needs to be planned out. Essentially, you're, you're, you're launching a product internally and your market is your internal stakeholders, especially in an enterprise company. Yeah. You know, you need to make sure that all your, you're, you're selling a product. You want them, you mm-hmm. know, and, and when we put together the training, it's not, it's, it's not just, hey, this is the scoring and it's 50 points when you do this and it's 80 points when you MQL, you have to sell it. So I almost start at the end, which is let me show you what capabilities this unlocks for you. This is how you're going to see yeah. it. You're going to be, we, we, we're, you know, if we're, if we're launching um, behavioral scoring, it's like, how are they going to feel? They don't feel anything. If I didn't, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm upgrading all the plumbing in the background. I'm just a plumber. I'm upgrading all the plumbing in the background. And I did my job if you didn't feel anything, right? I, <laughs> no impact of business. It's, it's kind of like, how do we celebrate? How do we celebrate what demand ops brings to the company when literally you're not supposed to feel anything? So instead, I'll right. have to be creative and, and, and talk about it, not in the features way, right? Like we shouldn't talk about Right. But like, how are you going to feel? It's like, mm-hmm. well, now we can have a conversation about optimization. We can have a conversation mm-hmm. about, now we have levers to pull. We have different levers that we can pull, right? Or like now you can analyze your data in this new way and you can gain insight yeah. in this new way because I did all this crazy plumbing stuff that you probably don't care about. <laughs> but this is what yeah. I for you. And the focus to 90% beyond what is the impact to your internal stakeholders, what report or what decisions can they make differently now because of all the crazy plumbing that we did that, you know, they don't, they don't care about the nitty gritty stuff. They don't care that like, they don't care that we simplify 48 smart campaigns to a single one. I care. And it makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's deciding like, okay, you know, it's very important to think about like, well, we call it IEs and EUs. So external users are like your customers. I use are you know, your stakeholders that you're building these, you know, products for a big customer is like the SDR team, you know, like, cause, or the sales team, like you said, cause they're like the people that might feel that most, or they're we're mo- most reliant on like their process. But for them, like they, yeah, they don't care about smart campaign. They don't even know what a smart campaign is. You so don't like, <laughs> shouldn't tell them, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
it bites me and, they, and it gets at me um, when I do tell them because then they start going into our business about how to architect. I'm like, no, 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 no. You just tell me what no. the requirements are and, and I will architect you the most amazing dream house ever. But you just tell me what you need. I think I think that's a skill too is to be able. Yeah. And that's a skill that I think Mops needs to have. And then obviously the product manager is my product manager that was mm-hmm. so good at like keeping us focused. You know, life cycle is something that's so complex. And I remember, I mean, life cycle yeah. is one of the hardest conversations to have as a client, as a, as a, as a, as a, a consultant, right? Cause you're trying to, yeah. you're trying to like manage the sales stakeholders and the marketing stakeholders yep. and you're trying to get everyone to not kill each other, you know? Uh-huh. Yep. And this was the first time where I actually, I, I just, I drew right the diagram and I handed it to my product manager and I actually let him drive the requirements conversation. And it was amazing. He didn't know anything about life cycle, but it was amazing because he knew how to like lead us in the discussion to ask the right questions to unpack the multiple layers, right? Because if you think about life cycle, it's how do you get into a stage? Well, when you trigger into that uh-huh. stage, which system does it? Which field changes? And if that field changes, what else has to happen? When are you not allowed to go to that stage? And like trying to have that conversation and lead it and try to take notes and document it is impossible. It's hard. Yeah, and I it's really hard. As a consultant, oh my God, life would be so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's part of the reason why recently we split out our, with our on our clients where we have a solutions architect uh, and then we have our client lead because the client leads for us are really focused on like, okay, understanding the client, like getting down into that like scenario base, like asking the questions. And, you know, we really focus on soft skills with that role because it's like you, uh, you they do know technically and they can do the work, but you need like a balance of both. It's like, okay, to what end technically can we do all this stuff? And that's where solutions architect is really great. But then for the client lead is like, okay, but are we delivering, how can we deliver something that, you know, meets the requirements of the team is a compromise. Like you said, like there's, there's always like battling priorities and battling opinions. So like, how do you filter through that? Um, and also something that works within their workflow, like something that's going to be really realistic because there's, we could try and over engineer something too. And so it's understanding the client. What's, what is the client ready for, you know, and, and it's something that your product manager probably does too. Like, and that's what product teams think about. They think about, okay, how do we, how can we make this so simple for the end user to use that? It just becomes part of their workflow. And they want to use it. It's valuable. It helps like, you know, with one of their pain points. And it's something too that we can then, that we can then track. And I I love everything that you're saying, because I think that for a lot of um, folks who are really struggling to get that like executive level buy-in for, well, just one support, which can be hard for MOPS because sometimes we also Resource. resources. Yeah. yeah just the, the value that MOPS brings. And I think it's really, because usually we're just a, like, we're usually like in the basement. We just, you know, they, the, the impression <laughs> that I think people get is we just send out emails and we build landing pages and we like run the webinars and it's not that at all. And I think when, no. when, you, when you change the words that you use, right? Instead of, oh, I implemented lead scoring. Mm-hmm. 
that doesn't resonate. No. But like, hey, I'm able to track and cohort different types of people. I have high engagements and I have low engagement people and I can follow these cohorts and see what they're doing so I can do more of that. That that is what that is what the C-suite C-suite speaks. And that's the value that you bring as a as a mops into the organization. And I think having that product manager like my product manager doesn't know anything about Marketo, doesn't know anything about, you know, mops, but he, he's a product manager. He can I think what it does is he helps you he helps you break things down. He she can help they can help you break things down into bite-sized pieces that basically then your your epics roll into your like then then they go into the features, right? So when it comes to implementation, it's already laid out for you because mm-hmm. they've already broken it down into the building blocks. And then we put all those things are in little discrete boxes. And then I'm lucky enough that I also have a project manager dedicated to my team, mm. which is game changing okay. because what happens yeah. is my product manager does the what and the how of a project. Mm-hmm. So any project, usually I give them my big ones, right? Lifecycle is a big one. Uh, reporting and enablement, um, you know, channels and statuses and just getting all that is a big one. Product launches are a big one. Like how, what, what is all the things that Mops has to do when we do a product, when the company does a product launch? There's a lot, right? So I, I give him the big ones. He dice, um, my pro, the product manager dissects the how and the what. And then once we figure all that out and it's all laid out in, in epics and feature, uh, I don't know how it goes, epics and features and stories. Stories are somewhere in there. Then user stories, features, and then outcomes. Yeah. And then Uh um, my project manager then takes it to the what and the when and keeps us on track. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I would like, if you can, I mean, it's, if you can get one of both, get a project (laughs) manager since, you know, we're asking for them. And and it's been, but it's interesting that you mentioned this because I think a lot of the times people are feeling the pain with hiring mops because we are like always looking for technical skills. We're looking for a unicorn, like someone that can have these conversations, but can do the technical work. And we're finding that like that talent's limited, right? Because one, no one, everyone just like ends up in this role. Like we're not going to school for it, you know? So it's very rare that that happens, but when you, this can become a different type of like resource ask where you can say, okay, well, I'm still going to have that, you know, these technical people on my team, I'm still going to be myself where I understand the strategy and, you know, the ways that it should be operated. But, you know, it would also be useful to just, you know, being more efficient is I need a project manager. I need a product manager. And that opens up the also the types of talent that you can go looking for. I'm not saying this can be easier. We're in a talent crunch right now, but it expands that. And it's just that it, it can maybe help fill those gaps where it's harder to find these like marketing ops or especially when you have that talent already. But sometimes it's what's draining the marketing ops person is doing that project management. It's doing that product manager role where we're figuring out the requirements and distilling you know, maintaining the roadmap, distilling our, you know, into user stories and features. And so I, I like this idea though, because then it's like being more creative on how you can better utilize resources and people when people's hard right now. Yeah. And, and, and through all this, I'm like, you know, 
as a as a consultant, a lot of times, you know, when I'm on clients, like you're you are the project manager plus the subject matter expert yes. plus the person yeah. that's building stuff at like nine o'clock at night yeah. to make things go, you know, and then you know, just trying to juggle all of that. But having a project manager, it's like I just show up to meetings. I'm like, what do you want me to talk about? You want to talk about nurture strategy? Awesome, let's talk about nurture strategy. What do you want to talk about today? You want to talk about how you know, reimagining our website and what we need to do in the next 12 months. Okay. But then I don't have to have the brain space, especially with two little kids. There's not a lot of space up there left (laughs) to like, okay, did we schedule this meeting or what's next on the agenda or what's the next action steps and who do we need to follow up on A, a good project, a good project manager and a good product manager is like, is game changing into the impact that you can make from a mom's perspective on the company. And like we, yeah, like I literally don't think I could have gotten through that life cycle conversation without my product manager. You know? mm, yeah. Yeah. One thing that I think would be useful to, um, to talk about, and it seemed like it was probably a bit easier for you because of the, like you said, the overall structure in your, company that helped give you that like resource and also the way of thinking. But for some people who maybe don't have that and, but they do want to try and get executive level buying. Cause I always say at the beginning of this, like in order to make this work, you need executive level buying because it's a, you're, it's a paradigm shift really. Like you're, you're making a big shift in like how your team's operating and also how other cross-functional teams are working with you. Because then a lot of times you're going to have like team coalitions that need to work together because your outcomes are being longstanding, right? You're going to, like you said, it's maybe it's increasing pipeline, you know, maybe like it's velocity. There's different kind of key outcomes depending on the company, but there's going to be different stakeholders across those teams that are going to have to be, you know, working together. So do you have any like kind of tips or maybe even when you first started was, were there, was there a certain like way that you approached getting that um, support to make the change? And what was some of that like talk track or language you used? Because I think that's really important for some of our listeners to like be armed with that. No, absolutely. And I think, um, you you know, it's again, that, that change in language, that change in mindset as a marketing operations leader and Mm -hmm. and, and how you talk to your boss and upper management and the CMO. And I've always believed that marketing operations, well, I mean, we know that we already know, right? All of us here already know that they're really at the center of everything, right? We make, we make marketing go. Without us, nothing, nothing goes. But we are an accelerant to marketing. Mm-hmm. When done right, we accelerate mm-hmm. every aspect of marketing that happens. We can make yes. things go faster. We can make you, we can decrease the cost. We can give you increased ROI because we're, we can show you the data and the insights on what is working and what isn't, right? At the mm-hmm. end of the day, all your CMO really cares about is like, here's the money. Show me what you can do with it. You know, yeah. as, a, as a field marketer, as a marketer, you're given like, a mil- if you're given a million dollars, you got to make decisions on how you're going to spend that money. Where does that data mm-hmm. come from? So marketing operations, we own the source system of the data. Our, mm-hmm. everything from board slides to like how we as a company in marketing talk about our 
impact on the company is 100% related to our utilization of Marketo Invisible, right? Visible is what powers mm-hmm. all of the data, all the plumbing that's in the background that, you know, that, that powers all of our conversations, how we look at how we're doing our conversations at the, you know, at the, you know, IC level, right? They're, they're like putting out the, the webinars and things like that all the way up to, you know, all the way up to the top. So we have an incredible amount of privilege and responsibility because when it's not set up correctly, the whole company feels it. So, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as in marketing operations, we have to like, we have to own that. We're more than yeah. just like, we make emails and we, you know, mm-hmm. you know, build programs in our marketing automation system, but we really have to own the responsibility and the influence that we have. And a lot of times, you know, we'll lean in and put on the marketing hat, right? Like I, w- I, I started my life as a field marketer and then I went into marketing programs and yeah. demand gen and out of necessity did marketing operations because I didn't have a marketing operations person. And then like marketing operations is my jam. I love it. Um, but a lot of times we have, I, I, I continually to tell my team that we are the organization that sees it all, right? You can yeah. have Amer- American Amer- field marketing, they're in their world. You can have Latam field marketing, they're in their world, but everything comes through our fingers. Like we literally see everything. So we can provide yeah. insight that no one else can, right? We can see yeah. patterns and changes that no one else can. And it's bringing these insights. I used to like a long time ago, I used to have a client and just for, and I did the reporting and analytics and I used to be like, fun fact Friday, did you know, right? Fun fact Friday, did you know your best performing content was blah, blah, blah. Or fun fact Friday, did you know that all of those people that you just signed up for your conference, we didn't opt them in? Whoops, right? So now you, you know, the data didn't pass, right? Like we see so much, we have so much influence Mm -hmm. and it's it's almost like i tell my team i tell other marketing operations leaders out there you have to own it but you have to use the right language you have to speak in terms of this thing that we're going to do we know we're going to increase you know um mql to meeting conversion rate that increase of you know x percentage conversion rate is equal to x million dollars of marketing pipeline Right. That's what they mm-hmm. speak, you know, and I feel like sometimes we, you know, in many organizations, sometimes we're so focused on we need the exact number, but we don't. We need it good mm-hmm. enough so that we can make the next best decision. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and most model like with with anything I will. I love everything that you're saying. I love uh, I think that it's it's always great, like to have, you know, someone just like <laughs> preaching like things that you're like, yes, a hundred percent. And, um, I, I love that you're, what you talk about is like the responsibility, but also it's like kind of like privilege with the role too, because like, it's just so expands like where we can go with like, with our careers, because, and I always say this and people like, I've had people comment back to me and be like, no, that's not right. And, and whatever, I don't care, but I'm like marketing ops leader or, or like someone coming to marketing ops is, is almost like better positioned to be a CMO than through any other part of marketing because we, we see everything we're seeing what works. We, we actually, we actually keep up on like best practices for everything, how to run an event, how, you know, paid programs, 
And but we're also seeing what works and what doesn't. And then we also um, are figuring out, okay, how do we influence people? How do we influence stakeholders? How do we speak their language? How do we like get people to like change? And then we're understanding the data, what really matters, like as and how do we articulate that to the C-suite? We're teaching. That's all something that a CMO should like understand and be able to do, right? Because yeah. at, at that point, yeah, <laughs> part of part of part of what you know, part, and, and and I know I sent you my deck, but like there's five areas. There's five specific areas that everything that we do falls under from from marketing operations. When I like, you know, okay, I'm glad you're going into this because I've been caught up in everything. I forgot to mention this. Okay, go. <laughs> now I can't remember. One, and one was database health. One was reporting enablement. One is campaign execution, one is life cycle, and one is lead qualification. Like everything that we do in MOPS falls under those categories, but we're typically so caught up in scoring and sourcing and channels and life cycle mm -hmm. and widgets and temp templates and landing pages. Like that's not the language that people speak. Everything that no. we do goes into those five, five categories. And one of those biggest ones is data literacy. Data mm -hmm. literacy. Yeah. I have like people on my team dedicated to building training courses because we can, we're, we're responsible for the source data, right? It's yeah. ours to make good or not good. Maintain. So we're responsible yeah. for the source data, but also like, I'm, we're very, like, like I'm very fortunate to have an amazing partner on the data science team, which also sits under my, or, sits under my boss's organization, which is very rare. So I have a very strong yeah, that is rare. And so they catch all of the data mm -hmm. and they make magic happen. And then it shows up in these beautiful Tableau dashboards, but that's not the end. And if, if mm -hmm. people who know me in the, in the community, know my big thing is around analytics and reporting. And so the job doesn't stop there that you just built the webinar program and you shove the data over and it magically ends up in a Tableau dashboard. It's enabling our end users, our stakeholders, our marketers, of how to use the data to analyze yeah. or to do what you want, right? It's like, if I have this question, which pieces of which dashboard should I be using to go and answer that question? Because if that doesn't happen, then your value isn't realized. So it is in your best interest mm -hmm. to make sure they understand how to use the data that you worked so hard to plumb to get to the other side and if it's like, it's like, if it doesn't have eyeballs from your stakeholders, then, then there's no realization that value. So you got to take it to the finish line, which is to make sure your stakeholders know. So we have like data doctor sessions. We have, we're building mm. a curriculum of like, if you have these five questions and, and building like recordings and vignettes and things, and, and you know, like small bite-sized training videos and like, you know, yeah. we're putting together like quick start guides, you know, on how to do this. I'm, you know, taking a lot of the content that I've built for Marketo and taking it in-house and like, okay, this is how you A-B test. This is how you generate hypothesis. This is how you look at data. What's statistically significant? All of those things, most marketers don't know how to do that. And you know what? It's not, it's not just like, like don't think that you just have to do it yourself. Right? Like right. We, I, we have an internal speaker series. And so I just bring in external speakers, you know, to, to bring in all this goodness you know, I have, um, I use, I use a cross pollination of you know, the Marketo community, um, right. Cause we're all, we're learning from each other. So what that doesn't stop with, you know, we learn from other people. That's why you're sitting here watching this podcast, but you can bring all these, these external people 
in-house to have a speaker series. Yeah. Or I do, I have, I have paired people on my team with other Marketo champions to mentor. I'm like, I can't mentor everybody. So let me outsource, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah, that's you a, know mm-hmm. I outsource some of the mentoring to other folks that are probably listening, you know? So you, you don't feel, don't feel like you have to, the, the weight of all of it is on your shoulders, right? Mops is all about scalability. So let's scale. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I, I think that, um, we, what we even do the same thing too. Like we have caffeine and brains, which is our weekly training. And sometimes the internal team will train each other, but also like we were bringing in special guests and I'll, you know, uh, to train and yeah, I think mentorship opportunities, there's a lot of great mentorship opportunities out there, but I think for, for managers too, of, of the MOPS organization, I think that's key, especially if you're like a demand gen person, but a marketing ops person rolls into you, you may not understand their world as much. So it might be worth like going out and finding a mentor for them or supporting them and finding a mentor. Um, and it doesn't have to just fall on you because I think that's part partly too, where they're become like with lack of resources, you said like lack of, um, or wanting to do everything. It's like, no, let's just like, let's be smarter about how we best leverage resources. And I, I think that's great to hear for people because I think the limiting factor for mops is like time, right? Like, it's just always like everyone is just like time and, and because of the resources, but, um, just like having creative ways of thinking about what you can do to best manage that. And I think the product, what product mops method, I always say is actually good because it's really good at deflecting. So like you said, like, you know, so if you have a roadmap Mm -hmm. and if you are tracking a certain outcomes, you're only working on certain projects, you can have then something in artifact that when someone's trying to get on, like send you work your way, you're like, sorry, this is not, (laughs) you know. My new favorite word, backlog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so that's your way of deflecting. And you have this living, breathing thing. You can be like, I'm sorry. Like, oh, and it's not a no, it's a, maybe we'll get to that. And, and if we can prioritize it the right way, like, does it have high impact? What's the effort like, and can we fit this in? Um, and forget, it's, like, right in the project management, product management world, there's so much. Stuff. Yeah. It's like a eyes, eyes, eyes like, and yeah, that one. It's like, or something. It's like impact level of effort. We, we talk a lot about t-shirt uh-huh. size you know, to size the project and things like that. And I think what also really helped from a marketing operations perspective, and it's somewhat related to product management, but not really, but it's actually project management. Um, But basically Mops gets a lot of requests all day long. Everything's on fire all day long. And it was just, and and it was really, the requests that we get always, always are typically about reporting because that's how they feel. Yeah. Right. That's how they feel what we do, right? Mm -hmm. They submit a ticket, stuff gets built. That's, table thing, right? You get no, there's no, right. right. But it's always usually like reporting, like, I want to see data this way. Or how come I can't see this? And we were just getting hit left and right. And, and, and there was, you know, people just put meetings on my calendar and a bunch of people. And so one of the things that I started um, out of all of this was something that I would call reporting council. And reporting council mm-hmm. is a formal, a formal entity, right? There's an intake form. There's a project manager dedicated to running that. There's a there's a triage council, and then there's an actual like a council of my peers plus my boss to w- when we need final decision of like this is these are the things that we're working on right now. And some like someone else wants like they, they need this lady's urgent. Great. We've done the intake, we've done the discovery, we've done the discovery. What's gonna come off our plates in order to do this? 
right? So then you place it not in an individual individual saying no. It's not like Mop saying no. It's not Jessica saying no. It's the reporting council has decided, yay or nay. The reporting council has decided that it is on deck next after we finish this. The reporting council has decided that we will reevaluate in FY23. So mm-hmm. it's a very, like a lot, like someone wants to make a change in scoring. Someone wants, right, because they want something different. Someone wants to make a change in how we do X, Y, Z. Great. Let's put it into reporting council. Let's discuss it. Right? Because then there's a body, yeah. there's an independent person and entity that we can prioritize. Is this backlog or is this on deck or is it super important, approved, go do. And then so, and yeah. then there's a, there's monthly updates that get sent out of where we're at and what's on, on deck. Because everyone needs everything right now, but at least they understand capacity and resources and then yeah. the right resources get dedicated instead of we're trying to juggle too many things and and honestly like that between reporting council and product and product management are really the two like game-changing things that um you know having been at f5 since march are like what like those are the two things that i'm like really the most proud of but you know that are, that are really game-changing that are new and that i will take with me wherever you know wherever you know into the future yeah, no, I, I love that. And the reporting council kind of reminds me of um, what we're trying with the bite size with on this podcast and or, within like an analytics framework, because like it, it's always those requests like, oh, I need this. And a data literacy goes into that because I think also, too, like if you can get people the tools that they can be more self-sufficient and getting the insights and reporting that they need, then there's like there's a deflection point, but I like the reporting council, like a council of people actually making those decisions. And um, I think that depending on the org, like it might be a reporting council or it might be, you know, some other type of council because you might have another area where there's maybe some uh, chaos or a lot of requests or something. (laughs) Yeah. I know that other MOPS organizations, right? Like you can't, you can't just, create a field whenever you feel like it, right? There's some governance and no. creating new channels and status, uh, you know, and I, I think I think you're right. It's the concept of, I mean, different companies will have different needs, right? But it's it's to manage the chaos and just getting pelted every day with these requests. And how do you prioritize? So for like for, for, for MOPS, for our own MOPS, we have the roadmap. The product manager has mapped out the roadmap. There's certain things, right? Like product launches are like, we can't not do them. What can we push out on our roadmap? Um, and, uh, and, and, and then you can, and then you can just deflect like, yes, that is FY23 or yes, we can do this small piece. We can do a, but not B, C and D. Yeah. So, and setting expectations, I think is key. Like happiness is like, um, reality you know, minus expectations. And I think that, you know, you, you need, if you're setting your expectations correctly, like it's people are going to be like, you know, it's because I think this is where mops goes wrong too. Or like, Oh yeah, we can do that. (laughs) Silence, silence for, for a long time. And then they go, Oh, you know, Someone checks in, where's this thing? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Like, you know, we got bogged down and maybe we could do it by this time. If you're just like getting to a cadence of just setting expectations up front, it just it's just better too from for their happiness. Because it's it's way worse to un you know, under deliver yeah. 
than to just be honest and say like, okay, we can get that to you, but it's going to be here. Or also here's a compromise. Here's this, but you know, let's plan to do this. And, and so like you said, like taking on too much and then like trying to do it all is worse than just even just saying, okay, yes, but not now or, or later because, and also like things that matter. And like for any new, for any instance, like any, anytime I go into, you know, I mean, anytime I went into a client or come into my own instance, it's like infrastructure. It's like, are the walls going to collapse right now? And those for me, (laughs) those for me are in in the Marketo world channels and statuses as one, right? Channels and statuses. Um, if we're using visible, yeah. obviously the visible statuses, of visible channels, uh, channels and statuses, sourcing and scores. Those are my three, yeah. like, I can't do anything. I'm totally blind without having those, like, six tick and tied. Yeah. And then life cycle, MQLing. Life cycle. Right, yeah. life cycle, F- MQL. Like, you know, like, I can I can limp along if I just have a good MQL process, you know, and yeah. some, you know, but, but, but yeah, like, life cycle is one of the hardest. Like it's a harder one because it involves so many other stakeholders. But those are my three. Like I can't do anything unless I make sure I have those, you know, four pillars: sourcing, scoring, channels, and channels, and um, and life cycle, right? Like as as my pillars of foundation, because those are the things that are going to help you, like do the things that that really that really matter. Like do less things, right? But do them well. Um, mm-hmm. It's taken us about six months to untangle our scoring, but now we have like really really solid um infrastructure for scoring and now like it open it unlocks so many possibilities it unlocks so many capabilities and that's what we're going for we're not going for like cool widgets we're going for what capabilities are we going to unlock for our stakeholders what can the field marketer do now that they can't do before wow mm-hmm. now we can see depending on where you came from did you come in from paid media or did you come in from um, organic search did you come in like what are you like are you are you highly engaged or not so engaged before you have to go and click mm-hmm. on every record now i can just look at scoring i can very quickly see right these people did three things these people did two things these people did one thing like it doesn't have to be fancy we have like one scoring what if yeah it's 40 points if you do something right it's is that the end state of course not but like you don't have to go fancy i i, I was just talking to a colleague of mine this this morning that i used to work with and it's like you don't have to like launch the whole thing. You can do it in bite sized no. pieces. Yeah. It's not going to be perfect. And I think that's one of the things that's the hardest lesson that I have had to learn, right? Because I know what the most beautiful Marketo instance looks like and how I would like it to be. And that's the yeah. reality given you know, the history, the political climate, who owns what, the, the history, the, 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 the skeletons in the closet. But that's okay because we're moving forward and we're unlocking capabilities. Right. Doesn't have to be perfect. That's, we're unlocking new capabilities, and that's the win. Totally. That's. I feel like that's an agency learned lesson because also too you don't have you don't really have like you see everything, and also you really get to understand like why decisions were made or why they were to where they are. But you also know that like action is way more valuable than trying to get things perfect because nothing's perfect. You always have this element of postmortem and then getting to that iterative process is actually what a product method actually gets you to. Because when you have a feature, you deliver, it doesn't mean it was perfect. You might have to like improve that feature on your next, you know, release and, and so forth. And, and that's things that I, I think would be, you know, 
a, a huge takeaway is like knowing like you can size these out, like you can deliver part of a feature and then build upon it the same way, you know, product teams do. And so I love that. I know we're coming up to time and I feel like we're going to have to uh, schedule a follow up because this has been an amazing um, conversation. I feel like. Um, Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, do it again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I especially love, um, you know, women and ops and, and um, the thought leadership. And, you know, we're experts and you are a true expert in what you do, Jessica. So thank you so much for sharing your tips and tricks and, and just some, this forward thinking, if I could stamp forward thinking to this it's adopting this method and so thank you so much for sharing it with our uh, audience today pleasure all right everyone well if you want to uh check in with jessica cow it's jessica k-a-o i find her on linkedin she works for f5 we'll share her linkedin profile and also if you enjoy this episode of forward thinking definitely share with your colleagues and friends and we'll see you next time have a good one